Well, we have a nice group, intimate group, this evening. Um, I want to mention that I had the uh, good fortunate on occasion to spend time in Vrindavan with Prabhupada, and in the evening he would go up on his, uh, he had a kind of an outdoor balcony veranda above his room, and he would sit there, and and Jai Sajinam would chant, Jai Radhamadava, Vizbhajan, Hare Krishna, and some nights, many nights, probably would just sit, we would sit with him, and he would listen to the chanting, participate. It was very nice. And I'm reminded of that because um, and Arjun said his son Narayan is here and his good wife Prem. And years ago, Narayan visited me at Audaria when it was a little more developed than this, but not too much more. <laughs> In those days, uh, I had a room upstairs in the temple was down below. Hmm. It's another little room down there. And so uh, sometimes he would come and and chant there. Sometimes there would be nobody else, but he would chant. And I would listen and, and uh, very much appreciate uh, his kirtan. Very um, beautiful voice and very unassuming and out of the way, so to speak and um, moved uh, uh, by, by the Holy Name. And so, yeah, for, forgive me, but I was uh, reminded of that as we sat here and uh, chanted. And Brain's very good on the Murdanga, too. I remember from Prophet Village, sometimes you would come over against your father's will and <laughs> <laughs> play the Murdanga in Kirtan. Hmm. Kirtan is a popular thing now, but it's not always done in a way that would be very popular with Srila Prabhupada. <laughs> but uh, your style is, is, is very endearing and uh, very, uh, as they say, unassuming and getting out of the way and making way for the for the holy name to come and, and do what only he can can do. So much appreciated. And um, as I say, we're a little we were a little further along there than here, but here is a nice area. This has uh, recently been cleared by the devotees. I helped too. Sumati was very instrumental in that. Um, good example with her age, and she's the senior one amongst us here, right? <laughs> How old are you now? 70, 74, 72? 73. 73, okay. And, uh, and um, I'm reminded of your inspiring efforts here. Um, and uh, we are underdeveloped. We have a plan here to have a campground with cabins and tent platforms and a bathhouse. As you can see, we only have the furniture <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> so we have some 
some distance to go with that, but it, it, it's those of you have been coming over the months and years, and and all appreciate the development up there in that upper slope. There's thousands of dollars of, to take care of uh, waste material of devotees. <laughs> so it's been developing in ways that are unseen to the naked eye. So next. Yeah, we have some cabins, plans, and bathhouses, so this will be a nice area for that to stay economically and uh, to afford a what Bhakti Rasa called conscious camping experience for others hmm, who uh, could, at their will, uh, overflow into the whatever else is, all the other things I should say that are planned here. Mm-hmm. up above and around the corner and so forth. This is one of the valleys here. It goes the whole length of the property, north and south, and the creek winds all the way through. Sure. And uh, on the other end of the property, over this mountain, the top of which is where the temple will be, and about three-quarters of the way up is where the, where the cows are uh, residing. We just got a new cow, Amala, which completes the herd. Ujvala, Kamala, Bimala, Ujvala, Nirmala, Mangala, and Amala. That's this particular generation of uh, milkers, four milkers, and two retired laws. Next. Well, she's for the next generation. No. So she's not a law. Sorry. <laughs> Good for the gnats. So um, we have four, four, four cows milking now and selling their milk in the community here. And, and over the hill is, is another valley also that runs the whole length of the property like this. It's a little more magical if it was called the Magic, magic Valley at, uh, at some point. I think it was me, myself, and Gurnishta and Vrindarani, we were coming down the hill, and we, you know, we saw a trail, and we followed it, and we got in the middle of it, and Vrindarani said, this is the Magic Valley. <laughs> so somehow it stuck with like, them. Uh, I passed it on, so. And so that's another valley that runs north and south. And the hill on the far side, the western side of that valley, over that hill is another north and south valley that's really secret. That's a secret valley. Nobody goes there or knows that it's there. So three valleys running north and south. And then we, we other times, some of you have been here, we've had sessions like this in a, in a east-west valley where you come in, drive in, and you're at the valley. That's a big, big 12-acre or so valley where we expect to do some um, outreach type of activities through um, hosting persons for retreats and so on and so forth. A lot of ideas for that. Mm. And unknowns to many people also from that east-west valley, which is on the north side of this mountain up here. Mm. To the north of that is, an, is another mountain that's also part of the property. Um, 
some devotees have purchased some land up there also. So it's a nice project. <laughs> and um, so this is a new area for some of you who haven't been here. And uh, there's a brief description of it and other projects. We're uh, we're uh, we we have some devotees made some plans for a cottage for myself. So I look forward to living here in the near future uh, when I come. And um, we have some plans for interim temple and some monastic residences and also 600, 650, 700 square foot like cottages for people like Pranada and Archon City and Karnamrita and others can retire here. Or whoever, <laughs> but there's a nice area up there, about five acres. We set up for that purpose. So hopefully, in the course of uh, the, the days that we're here, some of you will wander around, and and uh, some of the things I'm speaking about, you might see and have a better understanding of what they are, what our intentions are there. If you haven't got a guide with you, but um, otherwise, we're gathered on the occasion of. Um, I guess my being here in no particular <laughs> other a holy day, not necessarily holy day, but it does correspond by coincidence with the uh, publishing of my recent book. So that's a sacred event. <laughs> Long time coming. It's titled Sacred, sacred Preface. Previous years, I say that because we gathered on holy days this time of year. We gathered for the last couple of years um, in conjunction with the Nishinga Chaturasi, we had extended discussions about Pallad Charit, chapters and character, Bhagavatam character of Pallad and Nishinga Dev. It's such an insightful uh, Leela, covers a lot of territory, ten chapters in the seventh canto, and the, the prelude to that, also the fall, of, so called fall of Jai and Vijay. This also begins in the early in the third canto, so it's a big topic, many, many. Um, wonderful points to be drawn from that, but um, and I should say in the fall we have been having a festival also in conjunction with Holy Days, Govardhan Puja Prabhupada's Disappearance uh, Gopastami and so forth but um, we decided to change that just for your information and and uh, hold these festivals in the spring and the fall when I'm here or gatherings um, on uh, designated dates that don't change like the titis do, calculated by the by the moon and stars and so forth, um, so that they can be fixed on person's calendars and they can orbit around them a little bit more readily or easily in terms of their everyday lives and make plans in advance. So I think that... Um, that uh, well, Chandra had an idea to have it on Mother's Day, and he ran it by several mothers, and they agreed. So next year we'll be here on Mother's Day weekend, and, and I, I don't know what they decided for the fall. Yeah, uh, there's Columbus Day is a Monday. Well, there you go. The weekend before <coughs> Columbus Day. Okay, the weekend before Columbus Day. So the, you mean the, the weekend that weekend of the Columbus, Columbus Day? Uh, Columbus Day, the Monday. Oh, yeah. well, we ought to be able to come up with something interesting about him. And, his work, his contribution. <laughs> yeah. 
the good and the bad. <laughs> There's some good to it, and uh, obviously a downside as well. But um, so um, that's where we're here. So I haven't got any particular subject to to, to uh, discuss, but uh, we can talk a little bit, um, perhaps from my book, if you like, at, uh, at some of the gatherings. We're typically in the evenings we would gather together the more intimate like this and just uh, ask questions and then in the mornings I would give more of a formal talk we can follow that if you if you like if you have any questions we can entertain them in general um, but um, I could say a few words about uh, about the book at this time um, since I brought it up and since in one sense the festival uh, coincides with its being published. It's a book that I started to write a few years back, and it's taken me a long time uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one reason is because it wasn't the only thing I had that I was doing, which seems to be the case these days. And uh, in the course of writing it, we developed this. We started developing this project, and and I have other projects, Madhavan and and Audari um, as well. And uh, so it's fairly consuming, but um, another reason is that I started to write the book with a di very different idea in mind than what it ended up being. I was uh, came up with the idea of having an online course on Chaitanya Charitamrita so that people would sign in and and then, you know, it would be just, I don't know, yeah, some of we would set it up, but uh, I would be the Instructor sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, register today. Yeah. Okay. Well. I think you should still do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just the preface. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a shortage of ideas, but uh, but making them all happen, you know, it, it requires some uh, resources and people power and, and so forth. So. Uh, but I'm not opposed to the idea. I liked the idea. I came up with the idea. But uh, when I came up with the idea, I thought I had, should have a book for it, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a chat in the charge and reader, but I thought some kind of study book also that would walk you through and so forth. And so I was inspired, and I started writing from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I wrote uh, a commentary on the... Um, the commentary of Krishna's. Krishna's has uh, he prefaces his book with fourteen verses, hmm, which um, in Sanskrit is called the Mangala Charan. So it's a it's a auspicious invocation. Invocation has different uh, connotations, but uh, one of them is the idea of invoking the, mystically, you know, the magically, the presence. Of those who are who are called by the uh, by the verse and so forth, and uh, certainly he had something like that in mind. And all of his uh, fourteen verses are about the five featured descent of um, um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nitananda, Sri Advaita Radhar, Shivasari, Gorbhakta Brinda. Hmm. He, he wrote his own Sanskrit verses, I think maybe um, 11 of them, 
and three of them were authored by his predecessors, Rupa Goswami, um, three or four, and um, um, Srup Damodar, some are attributed to Srup Damodar, Kavi Karnapur, mostly his own composition. And, um, and on those, which is peculiar for Mangalacharan, because as he himself explains in his Mangalacharan commentary, he has a lengthy auto-commentary on his Mangalacharan verses. Um, as he explains that the Mangalacharan consists basically of three elements. Um, sometimes it's described to include other elements, but these are the basic three. There should be a verse in which the uh, respect is offered to the deity presiding over, over the book or whom the book is written about. So that's called the Namaskar verse. And then there's the um, Vastu Nirdesh. Vastu means like the substance. So Vastu Nirdesh means it's, it means a verse that distill, the distilled essence of the, the tattva, the metaphysical truth about the book, is found in. <laughs> so he has a Vastu Nirdesh verse, one verse. It's, a, it's a really a combination of two uh, Bhagavatam verses and then his own addition to that. Very important Bhagavatam verses that the entire Sambandha Tattva of Satsandarva arise out of. The one Vedanti Tattva Vidas Tattva Mid Jnana Madhvayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdate. With Tattva Sandarva being an introduction, Bhagavat Sandarva and Paramatma Sandarva that follow are considerably longer. Um, these two arise out of this verse of the Bhagavatam, mm. describing Vedanti tat tattva vidas tattvam yad jnana madhvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabdite mm. describing Bhagavan and Paramatma. So the Bhagavat Sandarbha of the six Sandarbhas, Sat Sandarbha, you have Tattva Sandarbha, which is an introduction. Then you have the Bhagavat Sandarbha, which is about Bhagwan. Hmm? Then you have the Paramatma Sandarbha. So, Brahmeti, Param, what is it? Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan, Iti, Shabdate. The three. But you might question, do you forget the Brahman Sandarbha? There's the Bhagavat, Bhagavan Sandarbha, so to speak, Bhagavat Sandarbha. There's the Paramatma Sandarbha. Bhagwan means who, 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 who presides in, in, in different moods in the Paravyom, in the spiritual world. And Paramatma means that feature of the same divinity who presides over the, the worlds influenced by Maya Shakti. So, the Purushas. Mahavishnu, Garbhadaksha Vishnu, Shirdaksha Vishnu, this is the Paramatma feature. So, a whole treatise about the Paramatma, a whole treatise about Bhagawan, the treatise about Bhagawan and the Bhagavad Siddhartha is obviously about his abode, which, as Yubhagasami make clear, you don't fall from there. Something. We were talking about that earlier today, it does come up every now and then. 
and um, how it differenti- is differentiated from other planets, hmm? which Krishna clearly differentiates in Gita, for example, very clearly in a number of cases. The other ones are not eternal. This one is eternal. Hmm? Krishna tries to convince us to go to his abode on this ground, <laughs> but it's eternal. Don't go to the other ones. They're not eternal. They're not eternal means you have Brajalok, it's called. And Brajalok means the place. And Brajalok means the people. Local also means the people. The place is the people. It's not that the place is eternal, but the people aren't. <laughs> the place is made up of the people who reside there. Hmm? What makes a place holy? What does the Bhagavatam say? Hmm? Prabhupada used to quote that verse from the fifth canto. Hmm? That's another one. That means the holy place is in the heart of the devotee, but... That's the, that's the same verse he's setting. The one he says for fifth canto, I'd like to quote. Saiva Gokara. Anyway, that's the last line. Saiva Gokara. One who goes to a holy place, it is, and just to bathe. Hmm? for example, in the holy waters, but doesn't take advantage of the residents, sadhus, then he has the intelligence of an animal. Hmm? That's all. He's not very bright. and didn't really go there. It's like, uh, you know, going to the moon in a spacesuit or something. You could say you never really went there. Or going to India and staying in Hilton. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of five-star places in Vrindavan that I've heard. It's kept me away. But. So, um, anyway, Bhagavad Sandarva, this the abode of Krishna, has to be described. The Sarup Shakti of Krishna. This is a very interesting concept, the Sarup Shakti. It's a very Gaudiya concept. It's a huge, huge um, subject in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And Jiva Goswami goes to great lengths to establish the existence of what's he, what he calls the Swarup Shakti, Antaranga Shakti, internal power of the Godhead. Hmm? I've given an example before of this, that if you have a fire, and I, I see the fire, so it reminds me of the example. The fire has heat and light. The fire has sparks. What else does the fire have? Hmm. Smoke. You've been listening. So smoke, which is the opposite of fire. Fire is illuminating and smoke is obscuring but still, where there's smoke, there's fire. So, all these are aspects of the fire. If we compare the fire to Brahman or to God, hmm, then the smoke is the Maya Shakti. It obscures. The sparks, it has sparks, they're the Jivas. Hmm. They're like fire, but they're different. We can't cook with a spark only. can't heat with a spark only. But the spark is nonetheless very much like the fire, much more so than it is like the smoke. It can be obscured by the smoke, hmm? get lost in the smoke, so to speak, whereas the fire cannot. Hmm? But, this, the, but the spark is really different than the smoke. Hmm? It has some illuminating power, but not enough to dispel the smoke on its own. Hmm? What else does fire have? It has smoke, it has sparks, it has heat and light. Hmm? So in our analogy, smoke is the, is the material energy, the maya shakti. The spark is what? 
what's the spark? The jiva. The jiva, jiva shakti, tatasta shakti. And the heat and light is the sarup shakti. Heat and light means sladini samvit. Sladini samvit means knowledge, so it's luminosity, light, and heat means feeling. Feeling means love, ananda. Heat and light. Now you can you can see. Well, I can kind of see that smoke is separate from the fire, even though it it arises out of the fire and it's dependent on the fire. I can see that the spark is one with the fire, but different from the fire. When you talk about heat and light, it's harder to separate it from the fire itself. Although, yeah, fire and then the fire has heat and light. So this is how much the surup shakti as heat and light is identified with Bhagawan. In our equation of Beda Bed, hmm? in Gaudi Vedanta, the Godhead has Shaktis and the Shaktis are one and different from him. But that's not the whole story because the equation differs with each of the Shaktis. So the Maya Shakti is one and different with the, with Krishna. Just like the smoke is one with the fire and different from the fire, it's one in that it's derived from the fire. It has no separate existence from the fire. But although it's one with the fire, it's more different than it is one. The spark is more like the fire, or is it more like the spark? It's kind of could go either way. It's more like the fire inherently, actually. Hmm? But it's different in that it's 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 minute, and its minuteness gives rise to the possibility that it could get lost in the smoke. So the Jiva Shakti is as such, Tatasta. It could reside in either realm. It could be unlike Bhagawan in the smoke environment, or it could be like Bhagawan in the fire, in the, in the, in the heat and light environment. And the heat and the light is more like the fire than it is different. So the Surup Shakti is more like Krishna, then different. Very, therefore, we have Radha and Krishna, our, our, our deity, for example. So at any rate, getting off on a bit on a tangent here, but the Bhagavad Sandarbha goes at great length to establish the, the, the reality of the Srupa Shakti, a very important uh, uh, element. Indeed, bhakti is constituted of the essence of the sarup shakti, so it's a tattva. We sometimes think of bhakti as something that we do, but it's really the, the opposite. We do animate matter, that's a fact. But that's the maya shakti. But the sarup shakti is already animate, and more animate, if you will, than we are. So animate. That it could, its 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 um, animation could never be suspended hmm, or obscured by the smoke of the Maya Shakti. Not possible. Indeed, it's so animate that it animates the fire of Bhagwan himself. Makes his life go round. Overwhelms him. The jiva cannot even—it's light, but it cannot dis. Dispel the smoke, even of Maya Shakti, would speak of overwhelmed Bhagwan, even though it's a unit of Ananda. It's very anu, minute. So it's like a penny; it needs to be connected with a dollar 
was willing to say, we're 101 cents. Come on in. This is bhakti. <laughs> so it's a very important subject because we tend to think of bhakti as something that we do. and We have to make an effort. That's true. But the effort is meaningless without the grace of the opportunity of bhakti in, in the first place. Hmm? That descends. So, and and with effort, there's likelihood we would get more grace because we, how the way in which we make an effort in bhakti is very different than the way we make an effort in jnana or in yoga, other spiritual disciplines. Because we in bhakti, we make an effort for what? What's the effort for? You make an effort to get grace. That's very different. <laughs> if I make an, if an effort to take advantage of your power, that's different than effort to assert my own power. It's kind of a negative effort. So like, a, like a young girl makes an effort to attract a young, a young boy. It uh, goes the other way around, I'm sure, too, but... I always remember the bus stop when I was a kid. <laughs> girl wanted to attract my attention. So make an effort. And it, it kind of, not in, in those days anyway, it wasn't in an overt way, it was very, but it was charming and enduring and, and, and propelling. <laughs> so he wrote on this on a frosty wind of the heart, so-and-so, love so-and-so. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so bhakti... It's a, it's a shakti. It descends on the senses. And when it plays itself out on our senses, in that stage we call sadhana bhakti, it seems like it's more about effort than it is a grace. But when effort combined with the grace produces some slight emotional result hmm, that, is, that is entirely different than any emotional um, uh, satisfaction mm, that we have experienced mm, otherworldly categorically different when we experience that a little bit and a boss mm, of, of the, 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 the goal of, of sadhana of the, of the bhava then we feel like the effort was nothing mm. what has come from the, eff- the effort is insignificant I've given an example before if you're out in the woods and you fall into an old abandoned well then in order to how will you get out you have to call for help hmm? right if you call for help fortunately someone comes and throws you a rope then he says hold on to the right rope tightly and I'll pull you up but when he pulls you up you don't think man I really held that rope tight didn't I that's not even on your mind you think you saved me Still, the effort that was there hmm? it has its its role to play, but this is a different kind of effort—an effort to get grace. Hmm? Um, it's a, it's a, an effort to attract the attention of Bhagawan, who is the pusher, who is the doer. Hmm? So don't try to be a doer in the full sense of the term, and compete with him that will repel him. If you have a powerful magnet, that's positively charged and on the other end for the table you have a magnetic flake that's also positively charged well the flake is going to get pushed off the table hmm? um, 
but if the negative particle, however small it is, is on the table, it will get drawn in very naturally. So, we our effort is is to move in the, backwards, not forward, not self-promoting, but backwards and in pursuit of grace. This is very different than the yoga marg and and, and gyan marg. Therefore, therefore, the gyan is thought to be a labor of of only beating the husk, empty husk, in which there's no there be no real fruit from that. Shrama eva kevalam. That's for gyan and take to varnashram. Very powerful statement of the Bhagavatam. It begins like this, really. Shrama eva kevalam. Karma is a path of Gyan is a path of, and yoga, these are transcendental paths where a lot of effort is involved. Hmm. Physical effort of yoga, strong effort of control, it's all about control. Hmm. It's not about being controlled, it's about, <laughs> it's about control. Hmm. And gyan, it's a very, uh, it's a very effort-oriented path, just like you Got to go to school and study and get homework, something like that. <laughs> so bhakti is very different, very, very, uh, very generous path, and um, and as I say, we make progress kind of in a in a, in a negative way there, by attracting Bhagawan by our simplicity, by our dependence, acknowledgement of our dependence. This will uh, foster his. His grace and will progress, and so that swarup shakti, that bhakti is constituted of, comes on our senses, and in the stage of sadhana bhakti, it feels like the effort, so much so that people can misconstrue I'm doing bhakti. But if we look at the other end of the spectrum, as I said earlier, while we, as a jiva, animate matter. And that's one environment, the material environment, the Maya Shakti, right? It gives us a material personality and so forth and so on. Differences from one another, likes and dislikes. And if we become under the if we come under the influence of the Sarup Shakti, this is Bhakti, and that becomes comprehensive. Then what is the Sarup Shakti? As I said earlier, compared to the Maya Shakti, it doesn't need to be animated. It's animating Bhagwan in a sense. It's causing Brahman to move, even though he's everywhere, to dance. It's overwhelming Bhagwan. That's the meaning of Krishna. <laughs> that God has become a son. God has become a friend. God has become a pathetic uh, you know, romanticist. Hmm? Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Hiding in the bushes. Hoping. Hoping. Hmm? Picking, looking for the Five-leafed clover. Subal says, "Here's one. <laughs> it's got Radha's name on it here." Hmm. Hoping for this. So this is this is this is a, this is a condition in which Brahman, which is a kind of frightful term, the Great One, the Great, beyond word. Hmm? Janmadhyasyata, from which everything issues, the cause, in which all the effect is found, in its uh, platonic 
um, sense of ideal form. This is a little, little. It creates some, 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 some distance, but uh, bhakti kind of transforming almost making the Brahman accessible. Krishna is, I mean to say, a form of the Godhead who's very vulnerable. He's very vulnerable. He he has needs. By the power of bhakti, he has needs. Therefore, we have something to do, something to offer. He needs a heart, ultimately, because it's been stolen by the gopis. So... We have to offer him ours, this idea. That's our effort to give our heart to him. But he's vulnerable, so you don't need to be a big yogi, you don't need to be educated, you don't need to be a big, powerful, virile brahmachari or sannyasi. You need to be meek and humble, and that's hard. You understand it. You understand it. That's very different than I'm, you know. We, we talk about the male ego. Women have it too, from a material point of view, right? It's 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 off-putting. It's uh, the pusher, the you know, what do they call the alpha male? So there's a little alpha in all of us, and there's one real alpha. What's the opposite? Omega. I guess we're all the omegas, right? <laughs> and he's the. Uh, Alpha, the one Alpha, the Purusha, hmm? the one Purusha. So, to contract with him, is to, to attract him, is, is to know our place, so to speak. Act accordingly, that shouldn't be hard. Hmm? I know nothing, I'm in need. <laughs> this is our reality. Hmm? I have a great necessity. This is a strong point because if we get, like Puja Pachitamar used to say, like to say, young boy is hungry, that's a good sign. That's a sign of health. <laughs> a sign of health. Have a necessity. So to acknowledge our necessity. So this is a very different kind of effort, you understand what I'm saying, than the effort in jnana, yoga, and in karma. So the effort in Gyan, Krishna says, uh, Brahma says in, in, in Bhagavatam, glorifying Krishna in the 14th chapter of the 10th canto after the Brahma Vimohan Lila, he says that, what is that verse? He says, hmm? He says that too, yeah. Gyane prayasa mudapasya Hatefully rejecting this kind of overt effort. Hmm? And another verse I can't remember, but... I cited it earlier in terms of what it says. Meeting the empty husk of the rice, the hole, and there's no, you know, there's the chaff, but not the wheat, something. There's nothing to be found there in that. Very strong is the statement. That's a very strong statement about jnana, about knowledge. It's nothing. I mean, what are you talking about? It's nothing. Knowledge will set you free. It sets you at the university. It was carved in the walls. Hmm? Knowledge will set me free from action, from labor. Knowledge will free me from labor. Huh. With knowledge, I can, I can, I can earn more and work work less, hmm? less physical labor. Hmm? I can rest. Hmm? 
Now I said earlier, knowledge cancels action, action cancels knowledge. But bhakti incorporates knowing and moving also at the same time. So harmonizing. These are the two tracks of material life, knowing and acting. And they they contradict one another, they cancel one another out. But love requires a, a, to be a knowing, a kind of knowing. In love you know what to do, essential knowing. And it it informs the kind of action that constitutes love. The movement is the seva. Probably used to say, if you love someone, then you want to serve them. Hmm? And how to serve them, that kind of knowledge. That is the samanda gyan, an abhideya gyan, abhideya tattva. Hmm. So this, this, uh, if we take the sadhana bhakti and we perfect the sadhana bhakti, attain the emotional experience, the emotional component of bhakti, hmm, in bhava bhakti, and in perfecting that, we, we enter into Prem, enter into the Leela of Krishna. Where are we going? We're going into a world that doesn't need to be animated by us, like this world. But it's animate. It's animating even the Absolute, so to speak. Turning him into the friend, to the lover, to the son. What is the power of that Shakti? What will be our existence? Hmm? Here we're, we're, we're like a spark trying to illumine the, 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 the smoke and half the time no, we're coughing right <laughs> so in that realm hmm, where, where Bhagawan is overwhelmed by bhakti what will our life be? therefore it's called sandini sambit ladini something like Satchitananda but the more <laughs> something like that it means the same thing, you can find in the dictionary, but it means more. A super animated uh, live existence. An existence where everything comes to life, everything has a life. It's, it's a magical land there. Every, all the trees are move, they talk. And where is it? Where is it? It's a world of consciousness. The trees, they talk to Mahaprabhu. Here, so-called. Right? They said, you should be tolerant. The grass spoke to him. You should be humble. Tigers and lions chanted with him. Elephants in the forest. See? This is the idea. Bhakti animates everything. Bhakti means, in this sense, everything is seen in relation to its source, its purpose. So if we know the, what the purpose of a thing is in relation to its source, we make the connection, then it takes on a meaning that without that connection, we would never know. It looks dead or it only functions in a limited way. As a, hmm? But it's full function. Well, a little thing could be very fascinating make the whole thing go round. So Glaucus, he described like this, everything alive. Because the, the, the enjoying spirit on the part of all the inhabitants 
is, is absent. Hmm? Enjoying spirit means that we want to see a thing for the purpose, to serve the purpose of our sense of self that arises in the, in the mind. That is such a small thing. Who wants to cooperate with that? Not even us. We don't even feel comfortable there. <laughs> what to speak of why everybody else should be comfortable inside of our, the world of our mind. We're not comfortable there, but we want everybody else to fit in and, and feel very relaxed and comfortable there. This is not going to happen. So the environment resists. There's some resistance from the environment. So some, the great Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur once defined humility as absence of the enjoying spirit. Sanatana Prabhu, in a higher side of speaking about humility, has described humility as one with bhakti, on the higher side. It fosters bhakti, bhakti fosters humility, humility fosters bhakti. So in this sense, absence of the enjoying spirit, and of course, the enjoying spirit can really be retired in the presence of the serving spirit. This is the antithesis of that, so the reversal of that, not just holding it off, but reversing it out. Good best defense is a good offense, something like that. So this is Brindavan, hmm? that serving spirit. That will bring everything to life. Hmm? Excavating the connection of all things with its source. Hmm? And we see it practically. The trees spoke to Mahaprabhu. The blades of grass. We live in the trees here, but nobody's listening to them. Nobody's even thinking about them. What do they have to say? What are they saying? What are those what is it called? I can't remember how the tree I like. Sourwood. They're a really talkative bunch. They're very have so much character. You can look at the sourwood and what is he trying to say? <laughs> He stands out in the crowd. What is he trying to say? So, well, begins by listening, right? I, you know, have a bit of a gift for the gab. So, people ask me sometimes, "How do you preach?" And I told them honestly that uh, by listening, by listening, if you listen very well, then then you can speak nicely. And Prophet said that too. I think about himself. He said that Saraswati Talker said. Oh, he listens very nicely. Therefore, I could speak nicely. So that's very interesting, of course. You listen to people, listen to things, listen carefully, learn. In other words, if you are in a student's disposition, in a learning disposition, then you can teach. If you're in a serving disposition, to hear, to listen, to learn, then you can be a good, good teacher. So, so while in Sadhana Bhakti it appears like it's about effort, we can understand it's really not. Because look at it in Prem Bhakti, what's the case? That Bhakti is the animating principle. It's giving the Tatastaji the, the opportunity to, 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 to live in the environment of the Sarup Shakti. Hmm? Effortlessly. Effortlessly. Satya Sankalpa. Every desire is realized. 
every the will of the jiva. The jiva is constituted of will. It's a unit of will, among other things. Hmm? Maya shakti obscures our the expression of will. Hmm? shakti facilitates it. So the shakti is moving only for the satisfaction of Krishna, like a shadow behind him, hmm? anticipating this every desire, best disciple, before it even happens, and the arrangement is being made. Hmm? And so many different arrangements, because he's a complex guy. Hmm? So many different arrangements are made by her. So that when the jiva comes really fully under, under the influence of bhakti and the emotive aspect of bhakti is also expressed, bhava, then the jiva's will is expressed in relation to an environment that is all wholly pleasing to Bhagawan. And that environment then, in conjunction with our, with our will, is what forms our our identity in the spiritual world. In other words, you have a certain bhava influence through sadhusanga in, in a generic sense, you know, sakya bhava, madhurya bhava, that's maybe the case. Hmm? But then there's, there's, what about the details? This rupa shakti, is, it's like a fire. This is a little bit different than the example I was giving before, but like a fire, all the flames are there. So the bhavas are eternally existing. What about your particular form? Hmm? It's existing in the fire. It's a, it's a, the, the nature of that bhav, that's rupa shakti, is that it's always manifesting newer and newer manifestations for the pleasure of Bhagawan. The leelas are always new and different, even though there's a basic formula to them. Krishna has a, a day in the life of Krishna. There's a basic structure to it. But each one has so many different nuances and different days it happens differently and the same leelas come around and they're played out with different detail and just look at Krishna Dhanurag he's different every time more beautiful every time Prem is full and ever increasing at the same time so when suddenly a new form appears in Golok it's not a it's, it's not a it's like it's not a, it's not a surprise another manifestation of the Sarup Shakti pleasing Krishna that Bhava is eternally existing, that it would take a particular shape hmm, as a particular person, if you will. Hmm. It's like if you take an iron rod, a conductor, you stick it in the fire, it becomes like fire. You pull it out, you may have a flame around it, a flame body. Hmm. You need a body. We've been talking about this. Consciousness needs a body. Just like materialists say, consciousness needs a body. So it must be dependent on the body. Hmm. It needs a body to fully express itself, but the material body is not very useful for fully expressing itself. It expresses itself, but in relation to something that's inert. Hmm? And it's it's not inert, so it's a problem. When it expresses itself under the influence of the sarup shakti, then that's another thing. Hmm? Then it's then it's its aspects of being a doer, of being a, an, a, an apprehender, of being a qualitative experiencer, all comes out hmm, in the Leela. Without the environment of Maya Shakti or Srupa Shakti, which means a body, that those inherent aspects of the Jiva will never be experienced. Therefore, go to Brahma Sayuja. There's no, no personhood there. Even though you have the 
the, you have the underlying essential ingredient of personhood in your constitution. Hmm? But without an environment to interact with, hmm? how would there be individuality, desires, differences? So different gopis have different desires. That's a beautiful thing. Hmm? Different coward boys, they have different desires. They have many desires. <laughs> they have will. Their will in conjunction with the Srup Shakti that they've been, how they've been influenced by that, by Sadhu Sangha, their will in relation to that in, in, in later stages of Bhakti then starts to form the particulars of, of that of Baba's influence. Hmm? The details of an identity, and it's full with desires, all of which please Krishna. Sakyaras is entirely pleasing to Krishna. Madhurya Rasvatsaya, they're entirely, entirely pleasing to Krishna. And they're full of all types of... They're, f they're full of different desires and, uh, and things to do and whatnot, but it's all Krishna-centered. And the, the will of the jiva is being facilitated. Whatever it wants, it happens. Hmm. Cowards wanted to taste the towel fruits. Hmm. And if you look carefully, of course, the tattva is in this, right there in the, in the grammar, for the pleasure of Krishna. Hmm? They, but that's underlying. Hmm? You know, it doesn't always exactly look like that on the surface. Well, the Asoda's tying him up and he's crying. How is that for the pleasure of Krishna? But, but that's Matsali Rasa. If you don't have a naughty boy, then you don't have one. You know, you <laughs> so he has to show that, that side for the Matsali Rasa to be, to be complete, right? Yeah, if you've had a son, then you know that. So... Anyway, Sarup Shakti, very important. Hmm? This is the subject of Bhagavad Sandarbha and, and the planet of Bhagawan, hmm? the form of Bhagawan. Then we go to Paramatma Sandarbha, then all about the Paramatma, then all about us. Where do we come from? It couldn't be more clear. It's a big question for some devotees, but it couldn't be more clear. It's everywhere, written everywhere. What does the Gita say? Where do we come from? What does Bhagavad Gita say? Tasam Brahma Mahadyoni Hambija Pratapita. Krishna speaking about his Paramatma aspect. Hmm? Maybe 14th chapter of the Gita. Tasam Brahma Mahadyoni Hambija Pratapita. This is, means I impregnate the womb of material nature with the seed of consciousness, which is, means all the jivas. The one becomes many. Hmm? Many poetic descriptions by glancing. Glancing means by reflecting, by reflecting on it, reflecting on maya from a distance. Hmm. She's also one of my shantis. I should give her some attention. And so many jivas are manifest. Hmm? This is what Gita says. What does the Brahma Samhita say? Also, they had described in early early texts also. Sahasra, the thousands of millions of jivas emanating from this is the Purusha describing the Purusha. Everywhere the Paramatma is described, the Purusha is described. It's the, the glancing example, the one becoming many. Chaitanya Charitamrita. There it's described. Narayan living amongst liberated 
jivas. He sees their their sayuja. He he he's there sees their I should say salokya, their sarsti, samipya, sarupya, these types of liberation, and and a desire arises in him to bestow that on someone. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to give it to? Everybody has it already. Chaitanya Charitamrita says, despite the fact that he's absorbed in his lila, his vilas in Vaikuntha, surrounded by all these muktas, despite that, which is obviously very consuming, they love him, still some desire for, for being compassionate arises. Now, Narayan, you know, there's some compassion for Krishna in Karunarasa, hmm? compassion for Krishna on the part of the devotees, but for Krishna has to be the object of it, but that that's not possible in Vaikuntha. Hmm? And that's not that kind of compassionate love that Narayan seeks to experience, to bestow, he seeks to bestow that, what he's surrounded by, on others. So there needs to be a world for that. And Jiva's in need. So for the Godhead to be compassionate, for Narayan to be compassionate, there has to be a corresponding realm. And if he's not, you want God to be compassionate, then there has to be a realm. You know, people argue about how can there be, how can there be, how can God be good if there's evil and suffering in the world? It's like saying, why didn't God make square circles? Because if you want to have libertarian free will, hmm, which makes you different than matter, chit rather than achit, hmm, then you cannot have a world in which the jiva has libertarian free will and there's no opportunity to choose the wrong thing. <laughs> so it's like, why don't you make a square circle? It's like, next question. And besides, God didn't make anything. And more, more than, well, smoke made sparks, smoke, smoke, smoke made fire, smoke made heat and light, but, but or excuse me, fire made smoke, fire made sparks, fire made heat and light, but fire has no beginning. These are all aspects of the fire. God didn't make the jivas. God didn't make the material world. They're aspects of God. Hmm? Smoke is an aspect of the fire. We see that there is smoke. We see there's an obscuring I- influence in our lives. And we do something, something that we later think was deluded. Hmm? We see, we experience life as if we, we have a unit of will, we're cognizant. It matters not. Hmm? We're just, see, this the whole of Vedanta arises out of self-reflection. The whole philosophy, the whole Sankhya description of matter, and everything, it all arises out of self-reflection. And in, 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 in uh, introspection on human psychology, it's funny. The whole world story, hmm, expanding outward, arises in in, 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 in in Hinduism out of the introspection of the sages, exploring the human psyche. It's thought that gross matter comes from the subtle matter. So they see this, and then, and, and they see that the, the cause, so they reason this is cause. They reason there's effect. 
mood prakriti and so on and so forth it's a very interesting uh concept it's uh it's uh, i mean in one sense experience is the ultimate praman that's what we go with <laughs> and so they they've really looked deeply at the human psyche and on the basis of that they've made a story about how the world works and what it is and so forth and of course if you pursue it then you get penetrating insight into the human psyche and and the self beyond it that because the human psyche is something that's animated by the reflection of consciousness itself so on i mean it's a whole story but um It's not going to match up with the modern kind of thinking about matter, but it's a, it's, it's a different way of um, explaining the world. I'm sorry, yeah. George, it seems like it's, there's like an aspect of heroism, you know, like the savior for the Jeevas. So what's the relationship between heroism and well, he, he, there's there are different types of heroism. There's Dhanavira, there's Dharmavira, there's Yudavira. Hmm? Yudavira means Vira means hero, so it means like like you're saying like hero. Yudavira means like play fighting, like friends brothers will wrestle with one another, something like that. Play mock fighting play in sport. Dhanavir means like to be a hero by way of like a king may be a hero and and don give a gift give, give some land to these people. Give them some land. They're nice people. He's a Dhanavira. Then there's Dharmavira who's a hero of dharma, establishing dharma. So Bhagwan is kind of a dharma-vira in this regard. Um, but when we're talking about vira-rasa, that's different than compassion. And this is your kind of your question in a sense. Because vira-rasa requires two things. It requires the object of love and the lover. And so... Really, Bhagwan does Dharma Vira, establishing Dharma for the protection of the devotees. Um, but as far as uplifting the people of the world, uh, it's like we go into the subject of compassion. It's a big, big topic because God's compassion is really tied to His devotees directly, and only indirectly is He compassionate about in relation to the suffering. Of others, but it, it's it's it it is an aspect of his compassion, indirect. It's it's directly expressed in relation to his devotees, and indirectly through them, then it's expressed to the public for the most part. In the words, God is completely consumed by his devotees. He has no emotional experiences um, that correspond with our suffering. If God did, then he couldn't be a savior. If he was influenced 
I have compassion because I have had similar experience as someone else. But God has no experience like we have materially. Thank God. That's what makes him God. Therefore, he can be the Savior. And in order to be compassionate, well then, it really helps if you've got the same experience as someone. So we would see that God's capacity to be compassionate is actually limited by the very fact that he's God and transcendent to any of the experiences that that, that we have that, that are troublesome. Hmm? Whether our joys or our, or our sorrows, he has no experience of that. Hmm? But devotees have experience of that, having passed through that. And meanwhile, God is completely... Krishna is God is overwhelmed by Prem. So he's in the hands of his devotees. This is a, there's a four ways in which God is, is, he experiences pleasure. From his own Swarup, from his own Aishvarya, expressing it, from his thoughts and imagination, and from the influence of his devotees. And that, that is the primary one. He's taken by them, overwhelmed by them. So, the direct expression of the compassion of God is to bestow bhakti on the devotees. He's partial to them. In the context of his impartiality, he's partial to devotees because the devotees are under the influence of his sarup shakti. And as we said, he's under the influence of his sarup shakti. He never goes outside of the influence of his sarup shakti. He's not influenced by the Maya Shakti. He's not influenced by the Jiva Shakti. But by the Sarup Shakti. So with the ingress of Sarup Shakti into our lives, which as to Tasta, we have the capacity to be a conductor for that, then we can, we can influence Bhagwan and so forth. So, because the devotees have experience of suffering, they naturally, they naturally have compassion for other people. And also, there's a difference in, wi- in how... Bhakti is experienced by the object of love and by the love itself. So you have the ashraya lambana, vishaya lambana, vishaya lambana, ashraya lambana. You have the object of love and then you have the embodiment of the love, the Godhead, Krishna, and the devotee. So the way Krishna is experiencing and the way the devotee is experiencing are there are two different ends of the spectrum. Hmm? So for example, Krishna is the object of Radha's love. Radha's personification of love. She's said to be his compassionate nature. Bhakti, by its very nature, is compassionate. By its nature. Bhakti sees everything in relation to Krishna. Mm-hmm. So, this is a secondary quality of Bhakti. Titikshava, Karunika, Suhita Sarvadehinam. These are qualities of the sadhus. This is a verse from Bhagavatam, I believe. Must be... Seventh canto or ninth canto. Titikshiva Kurnika Suhita Sarvadima. Jata Jata Vashatra Jaja Suhita Sadhava Sarabhushanam. Vishwana comments, Vishwana Chakritaka comments. These are indirect qualities of bhakti. Karunika, compassionate. It's built into their bhakti. So they have natural compassion for others. And they are the medium then through which Godhead's compassion is directed towards the suffering people of the world. Hmm? They bestow bhakti upon them, they're compassionate in a general way, and, of course, in terms of bestowing bhakti, both. 
Hmm? Um, that's their natural tendency. Still, despite the fact that Bhagwan has no experience of our suffering, he has knowledge of it, mechanics of it. Otherwise, how could he explain it in Bhagavad Gita and its cause and its remedy and so forth? So he knows. What it, of course, he's talking Arjuna, but, but he knows what it is. So, at any rate, we have Narayan in Vaikuntha. He wants to bestow. Of course, he comes, he bestows it on the devotees. And the devotees are him, are extension of himself, and they bestow it on the people. So, God, had, God's compassion... God is an abode of compassion. We have some, some, some aspect, some part of it, and through us, through the devotees, he he, he shares it with others. Hmm? But anyway, the compassion is different than birarasa. Here, compassion is being bestowed on people who are not devotees. That's not rasa. But in order to attain rasa, you have to pass through compassion. Hmm? Therefore, Jiva Doi and Krishna Nam is the essence of Dharma. Hmm. You know, you look in, 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 in Chaitanya Charitamrita, you can find Bhagavan Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showing both sides. He, he shows himself as Bhagavan, and Vasudev is, is one of his eternal associates, says, I don't want to be liberated unless every jiva in the universe is liberated. And Bhagavan Chaitanya is very pleased with his compassion. But then he shows some aloofness. He says, anyway, if one she-goat is lost from a herd of cows, it's, who will know about it? He's saying, the material world is infinite, there are infinite universes... You have a good idea to save one universe, but no, no, there's infinite universes. And, and uh, he shows some aloofness. In the Bhava of Bhakta, though, he asks Haridas, how will we save the people? He says, your, your chanting will save the people. He says, that's fine for the people, but what about the, what about the insects, he asks? What about the trees? What about them? Here he's in the, in the Bhava of a Bhakta and he's showing compassion. And Haridas says, that's okay. The chanting will help them too. In fact, when you chant and you hear the echo, it's not an echo, he says. That's the non-moving living entities chanting back. So Haridas was able to pacify Mahaprabhu. So as a Bhakta, he was an abode of compassion, like Vasudeva. As Bhagwan, he's a little aloof. Hmm. That's life. It's a perspective. People are suffering. Well, maybe not. It's just a, that's an aloof perspective of Bhagwan. Hmm? But he can't remain aloof to bhakti. That's not possible. Hmm? He's a beggar hmm? in relation to bhakti. He, that is Mahaprabhu. He has a beggar's bowl. That's Krishna. Put down his flute, picked up a beggar's bowl, trying to get bhakti. Go ahead, please, give me bhakti. Hmm? <laughs> there he's a beggar. Hmm? So anyway, yes, so Narayan wants to experience compassion, so there needs to be a world. So this is Mahavishnu. Hmm? That is the Narayan 
in the form of the Purusha, the first avatar, so to speak, from which all through all, all of the avatars are coming. The first descent, in other words, from the Parvyom, Bhagavan manifests as Paramatma, hmm? the primal avatar. Hmm? And and it's from him that so many jivas are coming. And it's written everywhere, everywhere in the Bhagavatam, everywhere in the Upanishads, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Brahma Samhita, Bhagavad Gita, everywhere, everywhere. Nowhere is it said, but first they're in Vaikuntha, and then they come inside the Paramatma, and then they come out, and, and, and you know, all these add-ons, don't add on like that. <laughs> Just follow what the scripture says, and it's written everywhere, like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. There are two types of Tathastajivas. Those are Nityasiddha, those are Nityabhada. Nityamukta, Nityabhada. Two types. Why are there two types? Hmm? Why are there two types? Huh? No, but why are there two? Why is there a liberated type of Tathastajiva and a conditioned type of Tathastajiva? To demonstrate hmm, the nature of Tatasta, mm-hmm. that there, there's the possibility exists, that you can exist in that realm. Hmm. So, besides those that are constituted of Srup Shakti, like Yashoda, Nanda, hmm, and so forth, they're not Tatasta Shakti. Hmm. Besides them, there are Tatasta Shakti jivas that are eternally liberated. So this is coming from the imagination of Balaram, for example, the manifester of the Dham. There's no time involved in any of this, of course, but we are limited by language and and, uh, and our frame of reference, so we have to talk about it like that. Hmm? So, 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 so many souls are man, man, jeeves are manifested. Hmm? Balaram, hmm? Sankarshan and Vaikuntha, Balaram and Golok, Sankarshan and Vaikuntha. Garuda, Jiva Goswami says, he's a liberated Tatasta Jeev. There's no beginning to his liberation or anything. Yeah, yeah you know that. <laughs> Sounds endearing, huh? Well, he's, he's one of them. We could be like, he's one of us. He could be like that. Hmm? So, there's that kind of Jiva. And then there is the other type. Shows the other side. That Tatasta Jiva can live in either region, either side. So, that is coming from the Mahavishnu, all those. Because well, the whole world comes from him. Hmm? It's not that he manifests the world and says, okay, I'm here to be compassionate, the compassionate manifestation. Now, can we take some of those liberated people and fill this place up hmm? so I can liberate them? That is one of the ways we are described and the primary way in which, from which, in which Krishna derives pleasure. From the bhaktas, from the prem, his prem bhaktas, hmm? they're, gonna, they're constantly falling away. Do you think? Well, what does that say about Bhagwan, who's all attractive, who's, a, who's a, his bliss is somehow going to be diminishing? Hmm? Of course not. Hmm? Of course not. Perfection cannot arise out of imperfection. Otherwise, we have to redefine perfection. Imperfection cannot arise out of perfection without redefining perfection. Siddha means perfect. Nitya Siddha. Sadhan Siddha. Perfect. Again, we said earlier, too, 
the distinguished Vaikuntha is distinguished from all other planets by Krishna over and over again. By way of saying, those are not eternal. My boat is. If you go there, there's no returning. And if you want to go to Krishna Loka, how will you go there? You have to follow somebody that's there. They're not going to fall from there either. <laughs> Otherwise, you've got a problem. I'm following that guy, but he fell down. Now what? It doesn't work like that, obviously. So these these are important points. That, that what, what happens is this, of course. These kind of answers to these questions can be answered in different ways at different times by great saints. And there's nothing wrong with the way they answer them. Although I'm giving a kind of a definitive type of scriptural explanation given the time and the circumstances and the way these questions have been the answers to these questions have been misunderstood over time, in recent times. But for Prabhupada, for example, to say, oh, you have will, therefore, you can exercise it. Or for the scripture to say, it's karma. Bhagavan's not at, at fault for the suffering of the jivas. That's karma. These are explanations. They're, they're true, but they're not the whole picture. In other words, the whole point of answering the question correctly is that you have to take away, you have to do away with the idea, the sense, suspicion that God is partial, that God is, is, um, is, uh, yeah, partial. Hmm? That is, is, uh, uh, and and that, that that it's his fault, that the fault of the world is God's fault. That you want, that's the proper answer. The proper answer is answer these kind of questions. So, in other words, what's where do we come from? Why are we suffering? That's that's the question, right? How does the Gita answer it? Where is it answered in the Gita? So you have to know the book. So the fifth chapter, fifteen verse. Fifteenth verse. That's where the subject is. The part. Where's the suffering come? Who's at fault? Hmm. Very quickly, the Gita. Krishna. Krishna takes no responsibility. It's not my fault. It has nothing to do with me, Baba. Hmm. Hmm. That the jiva has will. There's karma, and so on and so forth. The Vedanta Sutra. The question is asked. God must be partial because some people are born rich and some people are born poor. So what kind of God is that? The scripture says, no way, it's not God, it's karma. The sutra says, then the question comes, well, what about the beginning when karma started? Then he must have set some people differently. And the scripture says what? No, there's no beginning. Next question. There's no beginning. There is no beginning. We know there's no beginning to the jiva, right? We know there's no beginning to God. Right? We know in all of Hinduism, in every Sampradaya, in, in every lineage, the whole of Hinduism, we know that there's no beginning to the world. There's no beginning to the Maya Shakti. As I said, there, are, there is a Maya Shakti, it's part of God. There is a Jiva Shakti. There is an interaction between the Jiva Shakti and the Maya Shakti. We know that too. What is the, the binding, the glue? That's called karma. So all these things have no beginning. How do we define an Adi in relation to the Jiva? Well, we say it has no beginning, literally. The world has no beginning. I mean, it comes and goes, but there's no beginning to that. Okay, 
How, how, is, it, how is God beginningless? Completely. I mean, he has no beginning. We say karma is a naughty too. We have to give that a different meaning all of a sudden. Well, that's it. It's different, but it's not really. I mean, it's uh, it's not really beginning. It's it's a. No, you can't do that. And they and, and, and you can't have a material world without karma. <laughs> there, that is the material world. What the force that binds the jiva. And the, you can't have a material world without. So there has to always be karma. Hmm? But I mean, this is this is again. This is the correct answer is in a simple way, and according to time and circumstance and audience, a person, a saint, a sadhu, will respond. And you may say, it's your fault, and elaborate on it. Anyway, it's your fault. You've got will, don't you? Yes, then okay, must be your fault. Hmm? But, but, well, then you can hear Prabhupada would say something like that. Hmm? But, but Prabhupada, and he said, have you read the Jayabhijaya? Hmm? They fell, right? Have you read the chapter? No. Then you should read. And then so someone would read the conversation and go, See, Prabhupada said, We have will. He said, Read the Jai Vijay. What do you say to them? Have you read it? That's what Prabhupada said. Have you read it? Somebody showed me this conversation today and asked me to you know, comment on it. So, so I'm mind a little bit, but... Prabhupada saying, have you read that? The devotee never says, yes, I read it, I studied that. I don't think he... <laughs> so read it. There it's real clear. That's where the question comes up. Eustace says, I can't believe that anybody could fall from my kunta. How is that possible? And what is the context in which it comes up? It's in the seventh chant of the Bhagavatam where the subject is the impartiality of God. Is God partial or impartial? See, this is the bigger picture which that falls within. The sutras, it's about impartiality of God. The Gita, it's about the impartiality of God. Hmm? It's a question of theodicy. Hmm. Who's to blame for the faults of the world? It's not God. Hmm? That's the point. So those are correct answers. You understand? And they may be given that way in short, a certain time, in certain circumstances. They're correct in that they make the essential point that God is not to blame. Now they could be, if they're not later on further elaborated upon and expl explained to, to an audience that hopefully is a little more uh, steeped in the, in the in the teaching and it's practiced for some time and so forth, then you could play out the answer more 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 fully. But Prabhupada was not always apt to do that. Prabhupada was often apt to give a very quick, short response and keep the train moving, so to speak. That was his, you know, keep it going. Mm. It's your fault. Krishna's perfect. Okay? Go on. Mm. But then again, in, 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 you know, he does say, no one falls from the Right there where the question's asked by Yudhisthira Maharaj. No one can fall from there. Mm. So, so, anyway, I'll just, you know, wrap it up here for you. But the, that's the Paramatma Sandarbha part of it. And so this whole Paramatma Sandarbha, a good part of it, it's about us, because we, you know, we're in relation to the Paramatma, and we can have a relationship with Bhagavan. So the Paramatma Sandarbha, the Bhagavad Sandarbha, and these two come out of, as we began, with Vadanti Tattvavidas, Tattvayadjyanamadvayam, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti Sabhite. Now my question to you was earlier, if you recall, and now you're all paying very close attention, that, that, 
There's a Bhagwat Sandarbha. That's about Bhagwan. There's a Paramatma Sandarbha, right? We heard about what that's about. That's about the Paramatma. But the verse of the Bhagavatam that these two Sandarbhas are coming out of mentions another aspect of Bhagwan, of, of the Godhead. What is that? Brahman. Why is there no Brahman Sampradaya? That's right. What can you say about Brahman? That's where everything becomes silent. Nothing to be said. So Jiva goes silent. He only says one thing, a few things about Brahman. Hmm? It's not what Shankar says it is. That's all. <laughs> what Shankar says is merging with Brahman and the, and the Brahman is one with Jiva and there's only Brahman. That's not Brahman. Hmm? So there's no Brahman Sandarbha. Not necessary. And then he goes to the Krishna Sandarbha. And the Krishna Sandarbha comes out of the other verse of Bhagavatam, the one line of the Bhagavatam. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So these two, this verse of Bhagavatam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, this line in that verse, and the verse of the first canal that I mentioned, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabdati, these two together make the Vastu Nirdesh Shloka of Chaitanya Charitamrita, along with the addition of one thing. He says, Yadadvetam Brahmupanishadi Tadapyasyatunubha. That which is described in the Upanishads as 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 undifferentiated Brahman is the Tanubha. Hmm? Tanubha. It is it is the it is like his his halo. Yadadvetam Brahmupanishadi Tadapyasyatunubha Yadatmantaryami Purusha Itisoshamsa Vibhava. That which is called the Antaryami, the Purusha. That is his vibhav, his partial manifestation. Yaradvetam Brahmapanasari Tadapyasyatunubha Atmantaryami Purusho Itishosamsa Vibhava. Sadaishvarya Purna Saiha Bhagavan. Sadaishvarya Purna. And that which is full of all Aishvarya. Sadaishvarya. Aishvarya Samagasya Virya Syasashvya Gyanabharaga Yusha. Yes. Six opulence, you heard it before. It says, that is Bhagwan. Aishvarya Puna Saiha Bhagavan Saswayam Nachetanyat Krishna Jagati Paratatvam Pramya. This is the part he adds. Hmm? That which is described in the Upanishads as, as his effulgence. That which is is focused on by the yogis, really what he means, uh, as the Antaryami, that is his partial manifestation. Hmm? Uh, in by, who, 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 who revels in, in Vilas, in Vaikuntha, that is Bhagawan, and ultimately that Bhagawan is Sri Krishna, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that same Krishna. Hmm? He is the Brahman, he is the Paramatma, he is Bhagawan, he is Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, and more. This is this Vastinadesh Shloka. So the Mangalacharan has a Namaskar verse, a Vastanudesh verse, and Ashirvad. Ashirvad means now to give a blessing. So we won't go into that blessing verse, but these are the three, or the Namaskar verse, but these are the three elements of a Mongol charn. So in one sense it's complete in that, but peculiar is Krishnadasis in that his Mongol charn has 14 verses, and, as well, it has an extended auto-commentary, his own commentary on it. It's a big subject and so again I started to write this book in the first chapter as a 
like a study guide for for the Chaitanya Charitamrita. I read wrote the first chapter like that of the book, but I my when I went to the second verse, I started to write, and I found that the restraints that I put on my electronic pen <laughs> were that that was coming out was 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 resisting the restraints in terms of the, how I conceived the book, what its purpose would be, and so its own purpose. It, I felt I have to loosen up here and just write what 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 comes when I when I go over this and and so forth. And so then I, then the second chapter took on a whole different character, and I just kept writing. And I thought, I guess this will be a commentary on the Mongol charm. I better stop after that because I'll be here for a long time. I end up going through the whole book, and so then this is I'm just explaining briefly here why it took me so long to write the book. And this is one of the reasons. One of the reasons I'm doing other things, but other thing is that I started to write it in one way, and then it took its own life on, and then I had to go back and rewrite the first chapter to conform with the rest of the book, and so on and so forth. So anyway, it's finished. You can get it from Duval. Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai. It's a big subject. I was just going to say a few words, but there's, uh, there's much, much to it. What else? Any comments? Yes. Um, in discussing the uh, point that Krishna is not at fault for our predicament in the uh, world, I was um, in dialogue with someone and we had a difference of opinion about where the jivas originated from. And the, her point was, it doesn't matter where we land on the topic, as long as we all agree it's not our fault we're here, then there's no harm that I think I came from Vaikuntha and you think that you didn't come from. But, but the whole, that's completely the opposite. That makes it God's fault. Right. No, because I was given the opportunity to come in, into the world as Brahma, and I had—that's practically like being in the spiritual world—to come as Brahma, very high, Satvagun, and then I. See, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, what you have to do if you want to talk with somebody about that, you have to say, "Honey, that, <laughs> the thing is, what, what Prabhupada taught us here is that we have to." explain ourselves in relation to the scriptures. So you, 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 you have to explain how the jiva, all jivas had a beginning in the first place, and they're all brahmas, and it's so where are the verses, and so forth, and because they just make up these kind of stories, it's, it's very... Of course, the, there's the idea that Brahma is the first person. It's, it's nowhere is described that every jiva is a Brahma. The idea that Brahma is the first person is that 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 and it's in the Bhagavatam. It's it's that when the jivas in Susupti, in a suspended animation within Vishnu, when the world is retracted, contracted, hmm, in the context of the endless cycles of expansion and contraction, in the Susupti, Susupti in the rest period, hmm, then when Vishnu starts to expand the world, hmm? then the conglomerate of the jivas moving from a, a, a homogeneous 
condition to heterogeneous status. They appear as the Brahma, Hiranyagarbha. Hmm? Hmm? He's the conglomerate of the jiva, and then from there, there is further expansion. This is this is the, well, how the Bhagavatam explains that. So, the simplistic set ideas are all Brahma's first, and it's you know you can say it, but you have to play it out and really understand what what's being said in the Bhagavatam. So, and beyond that, of course, there's no beginning to the jivas, there's no beginning to the worlds, and it's not that everybody becomes a you know everybody's fell from the spiritual world and became a Brahma, and from there you know. And then you have to talk about the nature of the spiritual world. You see, this problem is that the more you advance in spiritual life, the more difficult it will be for you to think that where you're going is imperfect. The perfection is qualified by the potential of imperfection. That it, it, is like you even want to. Try. That's the whole thing. That's why Krishna says. You make all this effort, right, to go to heaven. He said, Gyan is, is effort that has no fruit. It's like beating the husk of the rice when there's no rice in it. It's a waste of time. Gyan. Karma. Shrama evahi kevalam. This is right in the beginning of the Bhagavatam. You know how strong the word that is? Shrama means labor. Eva means certainly. He means for sure. Without a doubt, Shrama, Eva, he kevalam. Kevalam means only, it's for sure, you can bet on it that the effort spent in karma, means in Varnashram, for attainment of heaven is only and nothing else, kevalam, a complete waste of time. That's what it says. Shrama eva hi kevalam. It says because the karmic effort cannot give you bhakti. Karma cannot give bhakti. Going to heaven can't give you bhakti. It doesn't matter how pure you are. If you only drink milk, Mahaprabhu said, you can't get into my kirtan. Shrama eva hi kevalam. This is at the onset of the Bhagavatam, at the very second chapter, when the questions of the sages are being answered. He says, He's been introducing parodharma, parodharma, and and yayatma samprasijati is the parodharma. Savaipum samparodharma yatho bhakti dhoksajay. Ahoy tukiya pratihta yayatma samprasijati. Yayatma samprasijati means by this parodharma, not ordinary dharma, in the realm of karma, for going to heaven. Krishna says it's a waste of time. It, you can, it's you might as well go to jail and just break rocks. Tink. That's what he says in the Gita. You go there, you go to the highest planet. Know this, he says. My planet is different. From all, all the way, what to speak of heaven, go to Brahma's planet and everyone falls down. But from my planet, know this, one never falls down, one never returns. That is the difference between these worlds. Hmm? No, all effort made, as high as it, as good as it gets, he's saying that's as bad as it gets. Shama hmm? it is simply a waste of time. That's all, hmm? wasted, wasted, wasted labor, a moment spent in sadhusanga for bhakti.
uh, is more valuable than all the time spent in this. Such a, with such strong language, he's making this point. And he's contrasting, this is a new thing. This is the New, the new Testament of the Scriptures, the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And everybody's like, you know, Gyan, Karma, hmm? Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. That's it. And Krishna and Nard says to Vyas, you've wasted everybody's time with this. You've done something. You've done a bad thing. By writing about all this, Jugupsitam, you, you, you're a traitor. You have not expressed, with un, no uncertain terms, what is bhakti. Hmm? And so Bhagavatam begins like it says: This varnashram is this. Everybody thinks this, this is what love, life's about. You be a good person, go to heaven, come back, and you know, after a while, whatever, you get mukti. Okay, he said, e mukti. Hmm? That is nothing. Hmm? Go to heaven. This is a waste of time. And therefore, another idea. Parodharma. He says, Savai Pumsa Parodharma. This is the best thing. It's called Parodharma. And it constitutes what? It told Bhakti Adhoksaja. Bhakti to who he is who he was who he was. He was Adhoksaja. Beyond. Beyond the world. Beyond the alphabet. Adhoksaja. Beyond language. And how is it rounded? Hmm? What is its nature? Sabaipumsa paro dharma yato bhakti arhoksaja ahaituki apratihata. It's it's exclusive. Hmm? It alone hmm, is efficacious with regard to uh, solving the problem of material existence. Hmm? It should be done without motive. Without interruption, and this is the point here. It means by this one becomes fully satisfied. The self is fully satisfied. It can mean the self with a capital S. Bhagawan is fully satisfied, and you know what? If Bhagawan is fully satisfied, guess what? So will you be. Hmm? You will be fully satisfied. Hmm? Now, what does that mean? in relation to this point. So you talk about the spiritual world. The closer you get to that, the more tactfully you understand, the more you progress, the harder it is to think there's something wrong with that place. So if you tell a story like, well, I was there with Krishna, and then, you know, I thought, you know, I don't know about this. You know, he's the center of everything, you know. Some some some, some dissatisfaction is arising. What happened to the Yatma Sampraciti? It's not dissatisfaction, it's curiosity. Kill the cat, I say. <laughs> There's no curiosity except except what's Krishna doing. It's no. It is a dissatisfaction. It is a dissatisfaction. It means I'm not satisfied with what's going on, so I'm bored and I'm curious about. Is there anything else to do? I mean, we've been doing this cowherd thing for a while. Is there anything else to do? You know. So this is very. You know. I'm sorry to be so crass about it, but this is. So the point is, yeah, must You become fully satisfied. So. If you exercise your will in such a way, in relation to bhakti, that you, that bhakti blesses you fully and gives you a spiritual form, that is the form of prem, prem has love as a form, a shape, hmm? then you have exercised your will in such a way that you have become fully satisfied. Material life is different. You can exercise yourself again and again and again, and you're never satisfied. 
Every road is a dead road, dead end. Every road here is a dead end, and the road to, to Goloka is is has it, it never ends, and it's beautiful all along the way. And it says you're you're on the path, <laughs> and that's the destination. <laughs> it's full and it's ever expanding and increasing at the same time. <laughs> so there's no discontent, there's no distraction, <laughs> no no curiosity, and there's no wondering what it might be like, because you've already transcended that. And if you've transcended that, means you've understood that. If you have knowledge, then you know what ignorance is. So you, it's not like somebody in the spiritual world wonders what the material world will be like. They already know what the material world is like. That's why they're not there. That's what it means to know. They've got it. Therefore, they're not there. If you know, then you don't continue to implicate yourself in this, uh, in, in, in such a... Such a condition, such a situation. They know too. That's what it said to me. They're perfect. They're perfect. They know what material life is. That's the whole. That's what enlightenment means. It's not that you're enlightened in some way, but something you don't. Some, but you know, you don't know about the, what the, what the, what you're enlightened from. <laughs> no. And if you want to be, you know, kind of simplistic about it, you can say, well, all these ninja citizens are always seeing these people come from the material world. And they're going, ah, glad we're here. So they must think we're in the right place. <laughs> That's just a silly way of talking about it. But the point is that the jiva is fully satisfied. It's exercised its will. You said, well, you know, it's free will. So it could do something different. It can't because it's the reason we exercise our will and make choices is because the choices that we make aren't satisfying us. If we made one choice, if we met the woman of our life, the man of our dreams, and he was, you know, like he was in the dreams, <laughs> then you wouldn't need to look anywhere else, right? There would be no reason. The reason sometimes we look somewhere else and think, oh, I shouldn't be looking somewhere else is because, well, he's just not everything I thought he would be, you know. Hmm? He's not, you know. But Krishna's not like that. That's the point. Hmm? Right, and so because you, you you've exercised your will in such a in, in relation to the perfect object of love, you're experiencing the perfection of love, which is what everybody's looking for, and so there's no boredom, there's no curiosity. What it would be like, curiosity for, means I'm bored. I, I'm not. It's not doing for me what I what I thought it would. Is there anything else around here? Hmm? Over there, down there. Hmm? It's so you have to. So the more you go in that direction, what's happening is the more you're coming within the, the understanding of the scriptures and you're not having a problem with the fact you're on this side further, then you think, wait a minute, that doesn't sound good. Like I'm here and some people are there, that doesn't sound fair. You hear these, that doesn't sound fair. You, you want to be cautious because if you have an audience that might answer like that, you don't want to create a stumbling block for them for going for keeping the train rolling, as I said earlier. You don't want to do that. So you say you say it in a different way. You make a calculated, you know, response. Hmm? And people do respond that way. That doesn't sound good to me. Hmm? You mean I didn't have any choice in the matter? We have a choice all the time. Is the force of karma is always in the world, the force of bhakti is in the world, you have a choice. But yeah, you have no beginning. There is no beginning. 
the, the, we, the more conditioned we are, the more we want the thing to fit into our conditioned frame of reference and make it make sense within there. The whole point of the Shastra is to take you beyond that. Therefore, Shastra answers some questions that intellect and our frame of reference don't. And if we have faith in Shastra, then we take the answers. And then we go there and we start to go beyond our frame of reference and then it starts to make sense. Hmm? But the more we're on this side, the more we're kind of complaining about that. And I don't know about that. I don't know. Yeah. The more you go there, it's, yes, yes, he's like that. So it's uh, so you. This is a, any a good strategy for you. Talk about the spiritual world. Hmm? First of all, give me one verse in the scripture where it says every jiva falls from Goloka and becomes a Brahma. Well, that's what someone might say. Hmm. Then, you know, what, then you're probably experiencing, you know, a situation in which the person is not at a stage where they can hear a more metaphysical answer. And so you don't want to try to impose that upon them and follow the good example of Prabhupada. Hmm. But in time, you know, you're a little bit, you make a little, you know, we don't need to discuss it. Let's chant. Hurry, bowl. Then in time, they come around and see. It's an important point. It really is an important point. It's at some point, one has to. You want to be careful that people, you don't create a situation where people start to oppose it. That becomes problematic. The conclusions. So it's an art, you know, preaching is an art. You can't tell everybody everything. Hmm. You do. Not everybody. <laughs> Not everybody listens to me. <laughs> oh. So, what's the time? So... Smoke, there must be fire. There must be prashadam. <laughs> Is prashad ready? Okay. What else? That is interesting that point, though, about because people get disturbed a few weeks when you challenge yeah. No, you, you, that's the art of preaching. You, know, you have to find. You have to create teachable moments. You have to. You have to go in. You know where you can and make a point. Otherwise, you don't, and you stand back and and um, and that's the call. You know, one someone who's preaching. That's the art. You know, you, know, you can't tell everybody everything. You can't go up to somebody with a book and say, "This is a book about the supreme personality of Godhead." He's the color of a rain cloud, hmm? uh, you know. Or wait, it's probably not the best, you know, foot forward. At least when I was selling books, that was not how we did it. <laughs> we said, "Hey, where are you from?" They said, "I'm from Texas." Yeah. He's got a big cowboy hat on and boots, <clears throat> and so I said, "Cows? You're into cows? <laughs> Check it out. Look, there's a, you see any cows with the humps? Look at the picture in here. That's what they're like in India. It's a story about cows. No kidding." <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, we said a little more than that. You know? Story about cows. Uh, welcome. Nice to see you. Yes. I was just thinking, it almost seems like Lord Brahman got caught up in his preaching strategy. I don't know, because he was trying to preach to the lower people and then he somehow forgot to bring bhakti into the equation. You mean Vyas? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Sorry. Yeah, Vyas. Well, I think that... Um, that um, that uh, Vyas Vyas was is an incarnation of the Gyan you know, Shaktivesh. So the Avesh, the empowerment, is with the Gyan of of, uh, of God. Hmm. So in the sky of the mind of Vyas, all knowledge. So he wrote it out kind of from a knowledge perspective rather than from a Bhakti perspective. Hmm. And Bhakti's mentioned and so forth, and there was a, there was a, a Bhagavad Purana, but 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 Narada said, who, who Narada is of course also considered like a Shaktivesh in some places, but the Avesh is Bhakti. Hmm? So Narada was the guru of Vyas, and he told Vyas, you got to write it from a Bhakti perspective. Hmm? You got to turn the whole thing around here, and give it a hub around which everything will orbit. And that should be your final work, and it should be the bhakti perspective. So, he told not Vyasa, you're capable, qualified, go into samadhi, and then come out and write about it. Samadhi nanusmanatadvichishtitam. He sat in samadhi and empowered, inspired by Nard, and he, and he looked at it from a different light, and this is the story of the Bhagavatam. And then he wrote it out from a, such that the whole entirety of the sacred text would have a bhakti hub, if you will, around which everything orbits, and as much as the Bhagavatam was thought is his last work, his mature, final contribution. So, you know, you can think about it in different ways. I mean, it's, 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 it's really the, 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 the incompleteness of, 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 of Vyasa's work left him feeling incomplete also. And he knew he was incomplete. And so it gave rise to the opportunity to make the point, which is a super and central point of the Bhagavatam. In a sense, Vyas is doing the same thing that, that, that his student did, and Vyas is doing the same thing for his student that Nara did. So it's not only, see, the story just comes up and again. The famous story is Sukadev Goswami was fully knowledgeable. He was an Atmaram. He knew the self. Hmm? 
but there was something more to be learned. Who taught him? Vyas taught him the Bhagavatam. And what was he doing? He was now taking the role of teaching to Sukadev. What was he teaching? Exactly what he got taught by Narada. So it's, 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 it's a way in which the Bhagavatam, from a literary point of view, is again, is making the point, if you study it carefully, again and again. Hmm? The, the special position of bhakti. So it's for, for the sake of emphasizing the the, 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 the central hub, uh, the idea that the, the harmonizing concept of bhakti in which jnana and karma have, have action and knowledge have their place, as I said earlier, and so forth. That's how to think about it. Think about how it's written. You see, these books are written... Bhagavatam is, is written like Chaitanya Charitamrita is written in a, in a similar way. Hmm? We can go into that, but it's 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 political. It's got a point to make. Hmm? It's the same stories in the Bhagavatam are found in other scriptures as well, other Puranas, but they're told a little differently because they're they're it's there's a particular um, point that is being made through the stories. The point in the Bhagavatam, of course, is the nature of bhakti and the nature of Braj bhakti and the fact that you could enter into that. That's what it's all about. You can find stories about Krishna and the Vishnu Purana, but you'll never get bhakti rasa of Braj from, from reading them. But from the Bhagavatam, you will. It's, it's the way it's written. It's the focus of it. So it's, it's part of how it's, 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 it's presented to make the... Well, this is an interpretive perspective on the text. You're talking about it from a literal perspective. You can arrive at the same conclusion from a literal perspective, or an interpretive perspective, or an esoteric rasic perspective. And the rasic perspective will look similar to the to the literal perspective, but actually they're very different because the middle ground of the interpretive perspective is understood, and it's in the ground on which the esoteric perspective is standing. Whereas in the literal perspective, that hasn't been sorted out yet. You haven't, you haven't gleaned from it, from the stories which have power. They have power, spiritual power, because their efforts to speak about something that transcends language from the vantage point of someone who's experienced it. Vyas, for example, and Samadhi come back, trying to talk about it now. So it has power, all the stories. Hmm. And, and, they, and, and, and they have this ontological you know, reality to them. There is such a thing called Leela, hmm. and so forth. But so you can hear the stories, and they have power, literally, and just think of them like that. And you can arrive at the same conclusion that I should love Krishna, I should become a gopi, you know, in his leela, and, and you can you can arrive at that. Maybe, maybe, it would probably be pretty hard just to read the stories of the Bhagavatam and realize what this is talking about is the fact that I could become a gopi or a gopa, that these are the centers of the book, that there's the Madhurya Rasa center in the 10th Kandu, there's the Sakya Rasa center in the 10th Kandu, there's the Vatsalya Rasa center, Really, you really need some commentary <laughs> to figure all that out. It's a difficult book, but the stories have power. So the literal understanding, you can arrive at the same conclusion 
theoretically, but to actually go there and arrive in that sense, it requires that you harmonize the head, the heart with the head, and you you understand the philosophical implications of the stories and apply that in your life, and then you have this ground of tattva that you're standing on and experiencing it from an esoteric or rasic point of view. And so the, the rasic devotee and the neophyte devotee, they look similar. And the guy or real in between looks like, I don't know, he's a little too, you know, intellectual or something, you know. Why don't just chant and be happy and something like that? Sometimes they complain. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's important uh, to pass through there. So you were talking about from a literal point of view. seems like Vyas, you know, but I explained it from an interpretive point of view. Okay? I think so. Yeah. So, it had, yeah. so basically it hadn't... Um, Mahaprasad, <laughs> Kijai? Kijai. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. It's fun. Uh, so it, it hadn't quite occurred to Vyasadeva until Narada prodded him and then took him to another direction. And then he was taken further in his understanding, and then Bhagavatam came out of that. Well, you have to look at it. The, the story is that Vyas was a disciple of Narada. So he did something, and he wasn't feeling satisfied by it. The guru came and told him the problem, and he rectified it. Something to be learned from that, right? Grantaraj Shimad Bhagavatam Kijai. Okay.